Bear Essentials podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at The Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest is a former NHL player, having spent his career with the Phoenix Coyotes, Minnesota Wild, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is also a best-selling author of the book, Becoming Elite, along with being a coach and a motivational speaker. It is my pleasure to bring to you this interview, and I can't wait to jump in. So without further ado, let's get to it. Here's my interview with Eric Westrom. But first, a word from our sponsor. Wolfinger Consulting, experts who have achieved real results for their clients, including complying efficiently and successfully with overwhelming discovery orders, passing difficult third-party security audits, and deploying bleeding-edge technology platforms to control and preserve corporate information. Let them show you what Wolfinger Consulting can do for you. Be sure to check out their webpage at wolfingerforensics.com. Hey, Eric, how you doing today? Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to, to dig into it. been following you on LinkedIn a little bit, watching what you're doing. So I'm excited, and I, I know we're going to have a great conversation. Yeah, I think it's not not only um, am I I'm excited for what, you know, the audience is going to be able to get from it, because I know for me, uh, I self I, I think I start to say now I selfishly do this podcast because I think I'm learning as much or more than anybody. So I, uh, I, I keep having people willing to come on and talk to me, and I hope people are getting as much out of it as as I am. So so thanks for that. Um, could you. Uh, Obviously, you're sitting there, uh, professional hockey player, into you wrote a book, got a lot of cool things going on. I'll let you give your uh, brief introduction to yourself. Yeah, I can. Uh, I'll stay in sports terminology, so I'll give you uh, my two-minute drill. I grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota. My dad actually played professional hockey for 10-plus years as well, played at the University of Minnesota. So for me, it was always kind of that dream to be able to play on the biggest stage, so Played at the University of Minnesota, was a two-time captain there, went on, uh, played professionally for 11 or 12 years, played kind of, I was that guy, I was in the NHL and the minors kind of up and down for, you know, about seven years. And then I made the jump across the pond over to Switzerland to play in Ambry Piota. And now went back to school to get my MBA, did some startups in uh, the tech world, and then went into insurance and finance, went into a little bit of real estate some sports, um, help grow an academy. And about, yeah, about a year ago, like we were talking before we got online here, wrote a book and published that in January, January, uh, Wayne Gretzky's birthday, actually. Uh, ironically and coincidentally, it kind of ended up happening that way. Who was my boyhood idol. And then been doing speaking, keynotes, podcasts, coaching, you know, whether you call it life coaching, mental performance coaching, kind of people who want to invest in themselves. So it's been, yeah, it's been a, they're looking at your shirt, born to ride. It's been kind of a wild ride, but I think for me, I'm, I'm always following that passion and that purpose 
And I've always, you know, deep down been been a servant leader to help people. And I love what you said. Even when I do these podcasts or speaking, the questions I get or some of the information I glean, it gets me to kind of think deeper and and selfishly, it kind of takes my game to another level too. So it keeps you accountable, keeps you on point. And, you know, I've been blessed, uh, blessed and fortunate and uh, four kids and a wife now. So a, a little different spot than you. I have a 14 year old down to a two and a half, going to be three and a year old. So kind of about 15 years behind that journey of uh, kind of where you are with your four. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll say to the audience that, you know, I should start doing outtakes on this. I should hit record sooner because you could hear um, you could hear us, Eric and I really uh, getting into our lamenting a little bit about how how busy our schedules can be with moving around with kids and moving pieces. So that's that's always fun, too. So it makes me appreciate more what you're doing because I've been there. I I experience it. So good for you, man. Um, Hey, I. I always uh, I come into these with kind of a framework of like things I want to talk about. And I usually always listen to the intro and I end up deviating pretty quickly. Um, I just want to ask real quick. You mentioned Wayne Gretzky, boyhood idol, me growing up in Philadelphia. I'll say it. Wayne Gretzky, if you're listening, you broke my heart. You, you literally, you beat the Flyers in the finals. You broke my heart. You and Mark Messier. But do, have you have you met Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough. Um, I talked a little bit about it in the beginning of my book. It was a pretty cool experience. So my dad in 1979, when I was born, that was my dad's last year. He was in Indianapolis where Wayne started. My dad didn't make the team. You know, got to know Mike Barnett through different stuff, who ends up being Wayne's agent, who's then – the GM of the Coyotes, who ends up signing me, come into my first training camp. You know, you have like the welcome thing. I think it was like at Greyhawk golf course or whatever. And, you know, you go up in line to get food and there's Wayne. And Mike Barnett's like, hey, Westy, it's like, have you met Wayne before? And I'm like, nope. And uh, I was kind of that first training camp. I was, it was my worst training camp ever because I basically followed him around. It was his first year after retirement. And he came, he didn't come out of retirement, but he joined us for training camp and on the ice. He's like, Hey, Westy, he's like, who am I playing? I'm like, Hey, I'll play with you. <laughs> and just kind of follow him in and out of the bench. And it was, it was a pretty cool experience. And then later when I did end up playing in the NHL, finally, uh, you know, coming off the ice, you know, fist bump with him and then seeing him and Mario Lemieux, you know, in the tunnel. Cause when we play Pittsburgh, they tie and just that whole, that whole aspect of I'm going to throw it out there, Sega, Genesis, hockey, mm-hmm. those guys I got to play a lot of, you know, the Stevie Wise, the Sackick, Forsbergs. I played against all those guys. So it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Man, you're talking my language too, because even though I, I wouldn't say Philadelphia is a hotbed for for players, so to speak, we we definitely had a a really uh, rabbit fan base for hockey. Uh, hopefully, if uh, you know Keith Jones, you're listening. Hopefully we get back to that. So um, uh, let's start with you mentioned about growing up in growing up in Minnesota. It was always kind of like I'll say in your blood, right, about making it being a hockey player. I mean, would, is is that accurate, Eric? Was it always the from as long as you can remember? Was it the goal to play in the NHL? Yeah, I think for me, you know, that's a great question, because when you look at it, for me, it was it was about playing hockey and having fun, right? And I think that's, especially in Minnesota, as you know, I mean, it's cold as 
I'll I'll get out here in the winter. So what are you going to do? Right? You're going to sit inside, or you're going to go outside and skate. So for me, it was skating growing up, and I think that dream kind of started becoming you know more of a goal. You know, as I get up, it's like any kid, right? Hey, what do you want to be? I want to be a firefighter, a doctor, a hockey player. You know, same conversations I have with some of my kids. But once you got to that point of like eighth, ninth grade for me, there was a turning point where, you know, I got cut from the A team, had to overcome some adversity and make that decision like, hey, do I just want to be average or do I want to be, I mean, that's where I started talking about becoming elite or do I want to be elite and how do I get there? So it was always kind of that dream watching my dad, you know, I never got to see him play, but just watching him in the hockey world and continue to make an impact. I knew hockey was also a conduit to bigger things. Um, it's similar to what I'm doing now. If I didn't play hockey, you know, a lot of people, I'm not, no, not going to write a book probably. People aren't going to listen to you as much. You're not going to have that platform. So for me, growing up, yes, uh, it was a joy of mine. And it kind of became that goal and that dream as I continued to get older. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I uh, My son and I were talking about this the other day, about athletes in general, how even if maybe not the superstar athletes, right, they're, they're still the top 2% of players in their sport. So it's something that's admirable. And I know personally, I respect it a lot. And I doing the podcast and speaking to people like you and athletes and just people in general from different walks of life, I always like to hear how their path to what they ended up being their dream or what they accomplished kind of steered them in the direction to what they're doing as far as mindset, coaching, things like that. When you mentioned adversity, during the adversity, what's kind of that moment, Eric, where you're in your head, was there that chance where you could have, you know, almost gave into the adversity? Was that ever, ever, an, I mean, I know it's an option, but in your mind, was it ever considered? Well, for sure. And I think probably fully transparent and vulnerable, I probably did. Right. And I think there's different, there's different ways you kind of go about it. So if you, if you talk about that adversity, when you're playing at the highest level, uh, whether it's good or bad, you hit that adversity. And sometimes the easiest thing to ask is to be traded. Right. So you go through, like when I was in Arizona with the Coyotes right away, you know, I playing college hockey, I'd go down there because the University of Minnesota, we were on a different schedule. So I could go down to training camp, pay my own way, stay there and, and skate. Danny Breer actually skated with him in rookie camp, who's uh, obviously had a great career in Philly uh, and part of the organization now. Those types of guys, we'd play and you'd skate. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting ready to sign. They switch GMs, right? So there's adversity. The old GM was a Minnesota guy and Bobby Smith loved me, wanted me. Um, not that Mike didn't, but Mike was an agent. So now he has guys he represented. So it was kind of a weird situation. So I had to start at the bottom again. Asked to be traded, didn't get traded, luckily. Uh, I switched agents and then kind of went through a different process of reestablishing that foundation. And I think that's a lot of the principles I talk about in my book is to your point, overcoming adversity. And then there's other times where you know, playing in the NHL, like in Toronto. I mean, I played two games in a full season in a one-way contract. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to sit here. It's not about the money. It's about going back to what we talked about, having fun and playing. And I just left and went to Europe, had an opportunity to come back, but I didn't want to, right? So I think that's where 
I've learned for me, I did a lot of selfish stuff along the way, but I think some of the extreme elite athletes, you have to be selfish in a certain aspect. Um, but there's that selfish and selfless, right? And I think there's that fine line to your point of what's the mentality, because if you don't have the mindset, you have, you have zero opportunity to, to be successful. I, I truly believe that, you know, if your mindset's not there. So for me, overcoming those barriers and obstacles made me stronger at the time. Did I like it? No, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes you turn right to alcohol, you know, women with different things and to, to take your mind off it, which obviously is not the right way to go. And you learn how do you get into the trenches, feel the pain and and move forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, that's a good segue into this because I like to, you know, when we think of athletes, a lot of times, I don't think we, as as people who've not been a professional athlete, we really think about all that goes into it. And I think we have a tendency to minimize the struggles. And you started to talk about it a little bit. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you pretty, pretty bluntly here. So some of the things you mentioned, I know. For a person that's not in pro sports, you know, we might talk about that as, you know, we we've been to some dark places as an athlete. How do you when you go to those dark places, some of the things you mentioned, what how how close are you to almost staying in those dark places or when's it get to the point where you're like, you know what, I need to get my need to get my stuff together and I need to get myself out of this place. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think when you look at it, and I always talk to people, even when I'm doing speaking or coaching in groups and they ask those questions, I always say, first and foremost, a lot of what you hear or assume around pro athletes is true, right? If you look at the statistics for athletes, whether it's alcohol or drug addiction, whether it's bankruptcy, whether it's depression, whether it's divorce, any of those, right? We all experience one or all of those at some time in our career, in our life, because a lot of times when you get to the top, it's lonely, right? People cannot relate to you. People cannot, you know, they're not going to have empathy towards you. A lot of times, you know, you look at athletes on TV and you're like, Hey, that guy makes $10 million, you know, go pound sand. Right. And then you're a human being. So if I look at, you know, my journey, a lot of that, I didn't even realize it probably until after, because it was so normalized right? In that environment. So when I say normalized, right? Everybody, I mean, team camaraderie was all partying, right? It was, you know, and I was a lot of times the ringleader in different senses. Okay, let's go out. Where are we going to go? You know, I bring our wives, don't bring our wives. Um, so that alcohol part, I, you know, I, I never, I say it like I'm thankful. I mean, I only had the alcohol side. I never got into, you know, the drugs or anything else um, in that sense. But then it was also the women, right? You're in a fishbowl and you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. So those two, for me, more in the alcohol, the women or the sex addiction sort of sort of realm were huge players in my life. Um, and when you're playing with that high pressure, you probably, I mean, I probably had some kind of anxiety or depression or whatever, but I think those two aspects of alcohol or women or whatever those vices were, minimize them at the time and then you're able to maximize your performance on the ice or on the field because you're not thinking about anything other than performing and then when you get off 
okay, well, what am I going to do? Right. And I'm, I'm not going to go talk about my feelings, right. <laughs> I'm not going to go express who I am or where I want to be. And that's what I've learned now is to your point of like what in those dark places when I was writing the book, I mean, you got to go back in time and you look at it and it's like when I was in Switzerland, I mean, I had post concussion stuff going on. I was at some of the best doctors here and then I'd have to spend time over there for insurance purposes and contractual purposes. And I mean, you'd sleep all day and drink wine all night and you know, you'd stay up and I mean, it was lonely. Um, but you pull yourself out. Um, some people don't, I mean, I've, you've seen the news right over the years, hockey players, um, who have not pulled themselves out and some of those guys I played with or against. Um, and I know for myself, I could have been there, you know, pretty quick, but, uh, you know, I was able to either pull myself out or, had a good support staff around me um, to be in that situation. And I'm blessed. I'll tell you right now, I'm blessed to, you know, not go as low, um, you know, as some people have been because I've coached people through it. Uh, but those, you got to have that, that radar up, especially for athletes. And I mean, people in general, right. People in general, it's not just athletes. And I think that's, that's the part of life that you learn is everybody goes to a dark place at some point, it's just how dim is the light, right? So whether the whether you can't see it all or you have a little dim, everyone's darkness or quote unquote rock bottom is different. And I think that's what people have to respect and acknowledge. And to your point, when we were talking offline, that's it. I mean, it's coming full circle now, you know, and, and no one's hiding from it. Yeah, and it's I, I love what you said there about it's not just athletes. And another reason why I like the podcast, having athletes, military, men like that on here is I think a lot of what they talk about is transferable to everyone. And what I'm finding out is I think what I mentioned earlier, because for athletes being in that top, you know, 2% of human beings that can do what they do or as far as military, the top 2% of, you know, men and women who are willing and able to do what they do. I think it gives them a bit of a heightened perspective, I'll call it, but I think it makes it so beneficial when they transfer their knowledge down to people who may not have been in sports or the military. Um, I just, something you were talking about with the dark places for me, my, my my dark place, my addiction was food. I was a hundred pounds overweight on heart medicine, but I um I actually say now that when it comes to those dark places, I for me, I like going back there every now and then and just kind of like those demons that I know I created on my own. I like to go back to those dark places and I say I'll sit there for a while just to let those MFers know I'm home and it's my house and I don't care anymore. You can't get to me. So um, I, I love what you're doing. And I guess I know from my own story, my own rock bottom, was there, a, people ask me this a lot. I want to ask you this. Was there a specific, for me, there wasn't really a specific for you. Was there a specific thing you remember or a person or something where it finally went, you had a realization that you were in this place and you need to get out? Yeah, I, I think when I look at it, I mean, I think there's a lot of, and that's why in my book, it's a mountain co cover, right? Because there's so many peaks and valleys, you know, and, and I think 
to your question, I don't think there was a specific time, but I think there were specific times, right? And I think, again, I've been fortunate to not, like, and it's almost like an addiction as an athlete, right? So like you're talking about athletes or veterans, right? I, I speak at a veterans community once every two months. They have like cohorts that go through there and I talk to, and it's amazing, like the connection you have because of that. Right. And I think part of it is what I've learned is like your dopamine triggers too. And like how you tighten that challenge. Uh, it's almost like an addiction there. Right. So you almost have that point of you've been in a situation that you can't replicate. Like you can't replicate playing in front of 40,000 people chanting your name. You can't replicate the pressure of, you know, going out and trying to score a game-winning goal for your country in a shootout, right? You can't replicate that. So what happens is there's times where you almost self-sabotage or you go to that dark place to your point, like, I, you know, I can, you know, awesome for you to be able to go to that place and kind of say, hey, I own this spot. Um, I can sometimes, and there's other times that, you know, fully transparent is when I think about that, sometimes it could drag me in and be like, Hey, you know what? You should do this. You should do that. You know, but I have power in the tools not to do it. And I still work through that daily. So I think to your question is the specific times, like I say, is, you know, the concussion part, you know, that that's real. Right. And I remember people going through a concussion because you can't see it. You could have a concussion right now. I can't see it. You don't have a cast on your arm. You don't, you're not walking in crutches. And as an athlete, that's the hardest thing because people are, oh, does he really have a concussion? Does he not? And then you're starting to second guess yourself of, am I normal? Am I not? So that was probably one of the the low points. I had to make a decision of, do I suck it up, sign another contract? Or, you know, is my identity totally shift? And do I go into something else? And I think it took me a long time because I was, I mean, I was running businesses or company like a like a sports team right you know you hit your goals and it's like hey let's go go get hammered right let's you know the, the shenanigans that the team building the camaraderie you know so there it was like peaks and valleys you know and there's times where i'm just like i don't give a crap right if this if i lose it all if i don't if i continue on this and then you kind of wake up and you're like what are you doing um so to that point it was like, it was like this. And I still, to this day, have to be very, very cognizant of that um, because it's a good thing as an elite athlete and it's a bad thing, right? Because you almost don't care. Like you're almost at the point, like, I don't care if I was down here because I know I can get up, mm. right? And that's, it's a scary thing, especially when you have a wife and kids, you know, at that time I had two kids, now I have four kids and it's like, you got other people that are riding on the back of back of a stagecoach that you're carrying with you. And uh, they always don't want to feel the roller coaster ride. It's not always easy on their stomach. It's not easy on my stomach, but I think you kind of program yourself to hit those lows and just, and it almost like shoots you up, right? It's, it's crazy. And I don't know how else to explain it. If, if you've never experienced it before or you don't know, um, sometimes we're wired, like we're wired way different, um, in a good way for certain things. Um, but then also in a very, very bad way, um, you know, in, in other ways. 
Yeah, and I think you touched on something there. It's 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 interesting because when you talk about the family aspect, you know, I I was I've been asked this myself even like, oh, you know, and and I think you'll probably would agree with this. You hear a lot about, oh, you just find your why. And we hear a lot of people saying, find your why. And, you know, for me, it ended up being really interesting, Eric. It wasn't, my why was always there. I had a wife, I had four kids, and I was still self-sabotaging, like you said, right? And it ended up turning out for, for me. And now that I talked to some other people, it seems interestingly enough that for them too, I said, you know what? It was never about the why for me. It was the why not. And I was the why not. I was the reason for self-sabotaging. I had to figure that out, that it was about me. I was the one that was screwing up. Um, so I want to get into now, because I was looking a little bit before we uh, jumped on here. Obviously, you wrote a book. And the thing that jumped out at me right away was the way you put it together. And I really enjoy things in the concept of you put it together with the four pillars. And I wanted to kind of walk through now for uh, for the audience, you know, maybe we could talk through each of those pillars, if you don't mind, and how they came about and what's the the benefit of each pillar. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll start with the, the first one and then we can kind of transition if you want to ask any questions on follow up or hit the next one um, kind of on that timeline. But yeah, for me, looking at the pillars, it, it was it's kind of almost to that point of where I reflected on my life and in those times of, you know, I always call it like the flow state, right? You're in a flow state. You don't even know that you, what you're doing or why you're doing it. And, and when I was on the hockey rink, like I can look back and nothing would get to me, right? Nothing would get to me. So I'd look at what was that preparation like? And then also being able to remember, like if you ask me about a goal scored on or against, or I'll, I can remember it. And I started to look at that, like, how did I best set myself up? And it was around the psychological, physical, the spiritual, and the emotional pillars. And some of them came in later, right? Psychological and physical were strictly hockey-related. Spiritual was to that point of getting out of rock bottom, sort of. And the emotional pillar was trying to connect with my wife and my family and others in a more relational way. So... Starting first, you know, the psychological pillar, biggest part about that that I looked at is the fixed versus a growth mindset. So for me, it was the fixed mindset is the majority of people, right? You get into and you're like, hey, here's where I'm born. Here's what I'm given. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm supposed to get a job. I'm supposed to go here. I'm supposed to go here. Uh, and that just never was me after kind of that seventh, eighth, ninth grade, like I was talking about when I got cut from the team. And I had that decision, like, hey, I want to be a hockey player. Well, if you're not a top 20 player in your own city, um, how are you going to be a top 20 player on a hockey team, right, with worldwide talent? And it's obviously not an easy road, but it's that growth mindset, and it's looking at, okay, where do I want to be? Do I want to be the one who people are chasing, right? Do I want to be that top dog? Do I want to be that lion? Do I want to be the one who's, you know, going out there, not reckless abandon, but have that energy. So the psychological mindset, like I talked about is if you don't have your mindset set, right? If you start getting negative thoughts, right? If you let those people into your head, like you're talking about and not stepping up and be like, Hey, you know what? Those demons and where I'm at, I own it. And you start letting people, I always talk about, you know, you let them rent space in your head for free. You know, you got the opportunity. 
Are you going to have good tenants or are you going to have bad tenants? Right? Nobody wants a tenant who's not paying rent, who's destroying the property. You want the good tenants. So you want the positive people. And that's where, for me, around that mindset piece, my kids always ask me, you know, hey, how many friends do you have? And I'm like, hey, I have a ton of acquaintances, but I'm very, very dialed in and cognizant of who those friends are that I can lean on and that can lean on me to be positive and have conversations like this. This is what I thrive in. This is what I want my energy to go towards. And that's what I want to pull in. So the first pillar is the psychological shift. And I'll just talk about the shift part. It's hockey, right? So hockey, how that all came around, it was the pillars, but I use the word shift in the book because when you get off the ice of a shift, right? First, you kind of reset. You might have your coach chirping in your ear. So mentally, you got to like reset and refocus. If you played well, want to do that. Physically, you got to rest, right? Whether it's anaerobic, aerobic thresholds, you got to rest your body. Spiritually, right? Whether, and we'll get into that later, whatever that looks like, you kind of got to reset in that aspect. And emotionally, you can't get too high and too low. I mean, there's times the guy, you know, broke my nose. I went off the ice. No joke. They're like, yeah, you're done. I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. Throw a couple Kleenex things in my nose quick. Go out the tunnel. The coach doesn't see me. And I see the guy jump out who did that to me. I grab him by the back, like my teammate. And I said, I'm going. I run out there, cross check him, drop my gloves, just throttle him three, four times in the face. The ref's like, what the hell are you doing? I just skate right off the ice out the tunnel. <laughs> the next day, my coach, he goes, he's like, Westy, he's like, what the heck are you doing? And that was like, that was all of those things, totally not calibrated, totally thinking selfishly. I mean, Riley could tell you way more stories and probably did than I could because I just fought when I needed to, right? Um, but to that point, the psychological part of that is, you know, if you're not balanced, it, it goes through that whole that whole spectrum. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, obviously the information throughout today has been awesome. I've been enjoying it, but I'm not going to lie. I probably enjoyed that story as much as anything at this point. That That's that's fantastic. I mean, look, you're talking to a guy from Philly who growing up in the early 70s, it was, I mean, they people in Philadelphia in the early 70s, Eric thought hockey was just fighting on skates. They didn't realize oh. it was an actual sport. <laughs> when you had, so my dad would do the sidebar, because I love these sidebar conversations. Yeah. So my dad played in the 70s. He played in the WHA, right? Mm -hmm. So they had both leagues. He he played in the WHA for, you know, 400 games, whatever. So the Bobby Halls, the Gordy Halls, all that. And he he fought. So he was 89-1 and one in his fighting career. It was crazy. Like, he's tough as nails. And he was on the team, the Johnstown Jets, which mm -hmm. were the Charleston Chiefs in Slapshot. So his team is Slapshot. So you look at his team picture, he ended up getting called up with Austin. So he wasn't in the movie, okay. but their team was, was that. And so he told me, he's like, hey, well, this is what I took out of it, whether it was exactly what he said or not. He's like, hey, when you play, he goes, go fight some tough guys so they know you're crazy. Because um, I was more a goal scorer. I like to playmaker that type mm -hmm. of thing and so i fought you know some like eric guttered you know these guys who were tough dudes i'd go in there and kind of just you know seatbelt you call it and then i just pop out and hit them quick <laughs> try to cut them once and then luckily i had a mouth guard in i got hit a couple times but to that point 
Philly, I loved, I played in Philly a couple times. I mean, the fans were crazy, even when I played against the Phantoms, too, because mm-hmm. they have both teams. I don't know if they still have both teams there, but you'd play in both. I mean, in the NHL, we'd play over here, and we'd play here in the other one. And uh, it was, yeah, a different world. But psychologically, to that point, it's, I mean, as a hockey player, you know, you are, you're built different, for sure, you oh. know, because you have to, you have to be able to fight, not not so much now, but I know even when I played and when my dad played for sure, it was it was a different world. Yeah, and and to your point, I mean, just it, it definitely is a different makeup. And I and I love and respect I respect the hell out of you guys, number one, but also just it's it brings back a lot of memories for me from from childhood and just being at games and and the energy and you know Philly being a blue collar town I, I I remember early on 70s 80s before you know there was a stretch there where they won the cups when I mean I was too young to really experience that but then they had the 80s where they would make the make the finals but there were times in between where it was more about just I think the fighters on the team ended up being the guys who were most beloved you know I mean I kid you not on sports radio, they'll still every few weeks they'll bring in somebody who was a fighter on the Flyers, and it's it is like everybody will call in after and be like, "Oh, I remember when," you know. It's just pretty pretty cool stuff. But um, I wanted to ask because I didn't even think about this till you said it when you mentioned shift. I started thinking as you were talking about your pillars, and I was like, "Wow, like it's kind of weird," but like. You're probably you're you're definitely experiencing all four of those pillars almost between shifts almost right like it's like like you're probably doing this multiple times in a game like all of these pillars is that is that accurate? Yeah, and I think and that's yeah a great question and comment because I think and that's exactly where I came up with it. So I mean, if you if you back it out post hockey as I reflected on it, exactly what it was when I was dialed in. And if I could have went back now to where I am today, I mean, I always joke. I'm like, I could have played forever, right? Because you would have been centered in all those aspects and not let the noise get to you as much. So for me, like, then that's where I came up with it. I noticed in the morning, right? I have a weight room downstairs, Pilates reformer, you know, and all this other stuff that I do. And that's how I set myself up. Right. So I come downstairs, I'll go on the Pilates reformer. I'll go on my Bible app. Right. So like the spiritual pillar, it can be whatever for anyone. Right. So for me, I'm a Christian, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ and that's where my foundation is, but other people not have any higher power or any faith meditation, any way to center themselves. That's what I do in the morning. So I got the spiritual pillar, is kind of my key now, whereas before it was the physical pillar and then the psychological, then the spiritual and emotional. Whereas for me now, the spiritual one mixed in with physical and then I transition to either go for a run, right, which is physical. And then I do a mindset app and I kind of go through those exercises. The emotional one still as a man and an athlete, that's very, very hard for me still, right? I try in my ultimate test is right in my own household. It's with my wife and my kids, right? Because I think to that point, it's the same thing with your teammates. Sometimes you're so comfortable in that sense. You're, it's easier, lack of a better term, to crap on your teammates or crap on your own family than 
people in other aspects. So that's like the true test through hockey is like when you come off and I would, I, I talk about it sometimes of like one foot in one foot out. Right. So there's times where I was two feet in, those are the times we won. Those are the times I was an AHL all-star. Those are the times I led leagues in scoring. Those are the times won a bronze medal with the U S I was two feet in, in those pillars, not a hundred percent, like, you know, totally into them, but I had both feet in and I was trying, right. That's the key thing is I was actually cognizantly trying to be more empathetic, more compassionate, trying to follow my higher power, trying to physically take care of my body, whether it was through a disciplined routine or a healthy lifestyle. And I was in a growth mindset of how can I become better than I was yesterday? How can I become better tomorrow? And I think to that point, Yes, it's a short period of time, but when you can come back to that, and that's what I do when I work with athletes or business leaders now is we go through one-on-one or group coaching and it's, you, you can reset, right? And I use like a space shuttle analogy. They have the rocket boosters on the side. It gives you two minutes of energy. Hmm. You have to figure out what's your two minutes of energy, right? In hockey, you have two minutes between a shift usually at least. So what is that two minutes? What do you go back to? where it just becomes automatic checklist, right? Okay, let's just, let's process this. What did I do well? I'm going to keep doing that. What didn't? Okay, I'm going to put it under the bench in a box, virtual box, and I'll, I'll unpack that later, right? With Eric, or I'll unpack that with, you know, my coach or, you know, because a lot of times you can't unpack it yourself because I, you're not going to challenge yourself a lot of times like somebody else would. And I think that's the aspect. There's a time and a place to do it. On the bench between shifts, is not the time of the place. It's a time to recalibrate and look at it. And that's where in the book, I came up with the three daily tools. It's a 10 minute morning check-in. It's a midday recalibration. It's a five minute nightly pulse. And I was doing that when I was successful. Quick, right? Check in. How was that shift? Shift was awesome. I'm set, right? I don't even have to recalibrate. One thing I did not do is I didn't celebrate the wins as much because I just expected them. Right. And that's that's what you look at elite athletes. A lot of times they don't sit and dwell on them because they just expect it. And then what's next? What's next? What's next? But getting back to that earlier conversation, now your dopamine and your, you know, what drives you is so out of whack. Then that's where you get to that place of if I'm not here, then who gives a crap? Right. And that's Mm -hmm. the dangerous threshold when you can balance all four of those pillars and have moderation that's kind of when you're in your flow state. Man, that's, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I talking to you, I could probably go on for a couple hours and I almost forgot we were doing a podcast as I was listening. So that's always a good thing. Um, So definitely valuable, valuable conversation. And one thing you just said there at the end, I really like kind of honed in on was about not celebrating the wins too much. Um, do you ever think, uh, let me lead with this. Cause that, the question I want to ask you is, so I know, I noticed for me, at least when it came to weight loss, I was always on this to the last few years, I was always on this yo-yo kind of like a roller coaster. I would lose weight. I would gain it right back, lose it. And, you know, everybody was always about, oh, well, you're doing it wrong. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I finally realized Derek, it was kind of weird. I think what was hurting me was, and this is going to sound, maybe sound strange to people, was it was the dopamine of 
the the rush I got from the challenge of losing weight. It was almost like I needed that rush to lose it. I'm like, oh, what do I do now? You know what I want to do? I want to gain it back. Now I'm going to lose it again. Where's the balance between not celebrating the wins too much or not celebrating them at all? Like, how do you handle that? I think that's a great question. And I appreciate your vulnerability and honesty because that's exactly what it is, right? So in mine, it's the same thing. Like even in my journey and my business and what I'm doing, like it scares the crap out of my wife. Cause I like, there's time where I'm like, you know what, what's the worst case scenario is like, I won't work for nine months. I just, you know, spend, spend, spend. But then I get to that level, right. Of where I know I don't want to go below. And then it drives me to go do it again. And so it's the same thing. It's like, I, I not necessarily want to lose everything, but I almost get a, a, a thrill off of it to that point. And I think, that's what I learned. So I did an event with PJ Flack. So University of Minnesota gopher football coach out here, um, known around kind of the nation, but more so in Minnesota as a very vocal leader. Right. And we connected because I becoming elites, the title of my book. And he talks about elite, elite, elite. And we were talking about that. And that's similar. I was doing an event with him and I was kind of facilitating it. And we were talking back and forth. And I went into that phase where you just said, I, I didn't even feel like I was facilitating. I felt like I was part of the participation and listening. And he talked about that celebrating the wins of as an elite performer, right? Or just a person in general, if you're not celebrating the wins, you're not acknowledging like the work you've put in and kind of giving yourself an attaboy. Kind of. Right. And I think you don't want to like, hey, I just tied my shoes. Hey, way to go. Let's go, you know, drink champagne. But I think there's that fine line of when you set out to do something. For me, I've always just expected it. Right. So probably, you know, similar to you, if you're going to do the roller coaster weight lot, you you know, you've done it before. So, you know, you'll get there. And when you do, it's not a big deal because you've already done it. Right. So to that point, if you celebrate you know, too much, obviously it's going to affect your mindset. It's going to affect your body, your spirit, your emotions and everything. And so one of the things I learned through a therapist in a men's group that I was in was the key to moderation, Hmm. right? Moderation is key. So same thing, you know, I'm going to Napa with my wife for our wedding anniversary and you have to have moderation because you're surrounded by wine you're surrounded by you know food and it's being able to have that discipline of not saying hey i deserve this Mm. right those are the demons that come in hey oh you deserve it you're good you deserve it right so to have that moderation in all four of those pillars or just in your life in general but you do have to celebrate those wins because that's what keeps coming back so when i work with business leaders or athletes or people I do assessments and we talk about the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So we're talking about intrinsically, like I'm a very intrinsically motivated person. I want to do it just to either prove you wrong, right? Or prove me right. And I'll just want to be the best, mm-hmm. right? Other people are extrinsically motivated. Like, hey, I'm not going to show up and do this unless you either pay me, unless I get some kind of award where I'm on TV or I'm getting patted on the back continuously. And that is 
the difference of how do you celebrate those wins. And when I work with businesses, especially those assessments, right? If you're running the company, I can come in and be like, hey, these, you know, 60% need to be motivated extrinsically. So it is a good idea to give them some kind of carrot always and reward them. The other ones, it's as simple as coming by your office and just being like, hey, you know what? Great job today. What you're doing is changing lives. And that is enough for them to celebrate the win. And I think what I've learned the most about is how I wanted to be coached or motivated or led is not how others do always. So these assessments, it's perfect. My oldest son who plays football now, he needs to go into something with like structure, understanding, you know, he, he, he likes to be motivated differently. He does have that same motivation to be the best internally, but for me, you just throw me out there. Don't tell me what to do or how to do it. Let me go figure it out. And when I fail, then teach me. Whereas he was, so when I, when I drive with him, he's like, Hey, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. I'll just go do it. That was not good for him because he'd be, I'd watch practice. He'd be in the back of the line. He'd let guys bypass him because he's processing it and trying to figure it out. And then he's trying to figure out how is the coach responding? Is the coach yelling? Is he giving positive reinforcement? So he's a thinker in that way. How he would celebrate is different. How I would celebrate and everybody's built differently. And as a leader or just a person in general, you have to figure out what motivates you because for you, if you're getting motivated, if you're losing weight and everything, like the the, the celebration isn't going to be to go eat chocolate cake and Dairy Queen and every like it's like, well, I just did that. Why would I? Right? It might be like people giving you a card. You know, who knows? Like, hey, congratulations! I've watched what you're doing. You're inspiring me. Hmm. Right? Like that's for me. That's important. Like if you say when you say that, hey, what you're doing, you're inspiring me. That drives me. Right? It's not not the physical portion of getting the money to do something it's are you inspiring people and where are you going so that's kind of a long answer around that but i think that's all kind of blended together and it all impacts and you know what i've been doing over x amount of years it's crazy just the clarity you get um and sounds similar to you when you can have those conversations it's almost like an out-of-body experience where you're watching someone else go through your own journey then you see it and you're like, but then sometimes you hit a roadblock or an obstacle and you have to be okay with it, right? You have to embrace it to your point. You have to live in it. Like, you know what? Screw you. No. Yes. I tripped and stubbed my toe there, but I'm not. Whereas I used to trip and stub my toe and I'm like, I might as well just jump out of the car while it's moving. Cause what the hell is the difference? I have a stubbed toe or my whole body's mangled. And then I can get back. Then I'm at that rock bottom and I can work my way back up. And that's dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. It's funny when you met two things you said there, clarity and out of body experience, listening to you, I was definitely experiencing clarity because I was the out of body part was as you were speaking, I was translating that from my own experience and it was really blending together, totally different, but, very similar and it's it's always nice to have that and the other thing you said that i really liked a lot was and i think people should realize this more is like i i agree about the way you're saying about motivate how how people are motivated i think i'm similar to you i 
I'm, I'm actually going to prove you wrong or myself right. Um, the thing you said, though, that I really never thought about was, I, I think I was definitely a few years back, more recently, I'm not now, and I'm happy to say that, I think I was selfishly motivated. It only, It was only about me. I think it needed to only be about me to get where I'm at. But now to your point, I think knowing that I have somewhat of a platform, it's not the biggest or my social media, but knowing that there's days where I may do things or say things that one person might benefit from that, that definitely is, is a reward. And I, I really feel that from you. And I think that's, I think that's a great way to be. And I think, by us giving back, it ends up coming back to us. And people will say like, oh, it's great what you're doing. Like, you know what? I don't even think it's great anymore. I think I'm learned. Like I said to you earlier, I'm learning as much and I'm feeling as good about it as anybody. Um, all right. Well, Eric, I wanted to end with this. Obviously, how can people get a hold of you, get in touch with you? And there it goes. Look at that. I apologize. Right at the right at the buzzer there. So um I, how do um, people get in touch with you? How, you know, your book, all that good stuff. Yep. No, I appreciate you asking. So for me, uh, best ways are twofold, right? So Eric Westrom book. So E-R-I-K Westrom, W-E-S-T-R-U-M book.com or Eric at ericwestrom.com. So I kind of got, I'm merging my sites right now because one's around the book and speaking, one's around my coaching so ericwestrombook.com and ericwestrom.com are kind of the two sites that are getting merged. And then eric at ericwestrom.com is my email and doing a lot of stuff. I always look at it as like personal training, right? Some people can go and work out, follow along online. Some people need someone to coach them along the way. So that's kind of where I look at is the book. Some people read it and implement it, right? And then I'm finishing my online course, right? Some people go on there and I'll, I'll guide them through with videos, worksheets, encouragement. And then the other part is the online assessment and one-on-one or group coaching. So I kind of have those three aspects and then I do the keynote speaking for businesses. So it's been, yeah, it's been awesome to, to be on here. I appreciate you to bringing me on. And to that point, you're giving me stuff to think about um, as I go forward and, and just to see what you're doing as well. And we're all in this together, right? All in it together. Like you said, pushing this message out because I think our world needs it more than ever. But yeah, if anyone needs anything, Eric at ericwestrom.com or ericwestrombook.com and yeah, any of that, you'll, you'll find me. Eric, I can't thank you enough. Um, I, you know, again, I, I, I got so much out of this and, you know, it motivates me and I'm uh, so happy to have you on. So thank you. Perfect. I appreciate it. And thanks for all you're doing too. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in and please look up Eric, grab his book, check out his websites. And as always, thanks for watching. Take care. Bye. This has been the Bear Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals.